eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. The winter meetings are now over. Juan Soto is a New York Yankee and there are a lot of Met fans on edge. We will discuss all of it on this edition of Rico Bronia. We will read a lot of your emails. We received a lot of them at the gmail.com. But right now, I sense angst. I sense frustration. I sense anger. In fact, right before we pressed record on this Rico Bronya, I said to Pete, how are you feeling? And Pete looks like he met death. Pete sounds like he met death. And I said, is everything all right? And he's like, ah, oh, these winter meetings, they were terrible. You want to spill your emotion? What's going on, Pete? You upset about something? Yeah, so I have a laundry list of uh, players the Mets um, picked up in in twenty uh, for the twenty twenty four season so far, and um, Luis Severino and Joy Wendell are the two best. And that to me is when you have such an important most this offseason is very important, right? For a lot of different reasons, but. With David Stearns, we're expecting that this team is going to make a gigantic stride forward. Because let's be serious, with the first two, three, two, uh, two out of three years with Steve Cohen, it's been not successful, like not playoff bound. And there's not many names out there that are exciting. And the fact that you see a guy like Soto go, and there's some other moves being made, and the Mets are just sitting there and picking up a – listen, 35 people are filled. I keep on hearing about the 40-man roster that they just trying to fill it. 35 out of those 40 names have been filled. So it's getting a little dicey. All right, so let's play this important game. Who has been acquired by another team, whether through free agency or trade, that you say, what the hell are the Mets doing? That guy should be ours. I'd like to hear the list. Go ahead. Okay, it's not big because there hasn't been that many names. Well, that, but... that's the point. By the way, but... that's the whole point of this exercise. <laughs> that what I always say is, and this is the complications of the offseason. 
when there's someone you want, and like last year, to your credit, Pete, you wanted J.D. Martinez. And if the Mets had signed J.D. Martinez, they may have had a hell of a lot more success to the point where we're talking about a completely different offseason because they may not have traded Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. You were right. And I say that because there was a guy that you targeted from the beginning of the offseason and said the Mets need to sign him, and they did. And so when he was gone and he ended up in Los Angeles, you were able to say they should have signed him. And I never really had a great retort on why they didn't. So when you're down in the dumps right now, talking about on-the-margin moves, which are necessary, every team needs to make on-the-margin moves, and you're upset about it, my counter only is who moved that you're upset about? Because I can tell you right now, I'll give you a preview, there's going to be emails about Juan Soto, and I'll address that. Is that who you feel you're upset about? No, no, but I... Who is it? It uh, uh, it's gonna piss people off. Sonny Gray should have been a Met, and people okay. tell me tell me that they're blue in the face. He couldn't handle New York. He played here for a year and a half, and it was on record that the Yankees effed with him. I have no issue with Sonny Gray. You're not arguing with me about that. When we were talking about starting pitchers available, I put him at, down as a guy where yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to signing him. But I think we need to kind of recalibrate a little bit on what we thought and what we felt the Mets needed to do during this offseason. Yeah, it'd be nice to add about, no question about it, but our main focus after they traded Verlander and Scherzer was, holy crap, they have to rebuild this rotation. That has not changed. They're clearly not done doing it. They clearly haven't done enough doing it, but that hasn't changed. And I've got no indication that the Mets are going to say, ah, bad, we're good. Now ah, we added Luis Severino. Yeah, we're fine. Like, they're clearly still looking to add two other starting pitchers. They are clearly as aggressive as anybody in trying to sign Yoshinabu Yamamoto, who there's no guarantee they get. And we're going to talk a lot about him today, as we always do, because he's the main target. He's the guy that changes the offseason. He's the guy that makes you feel this was a good offseason or this was a failure. But never for a second, and maybe other Met fans had different views of this, were they ever going to be in the market other than Otani for a big-time bat. Like, that was never even something we were talking that much about. We were talking about, hey, would they add a third baseman? Hey, would they add a left fielder? But the big-time superstar play never felt realistic and wasn't out there. So I get it. We share a town with the New York Yankees. And because of that, we react to what they do. And if they do something really, really good, it depresses you. I'm going to give you a basketball analogy that I dealt with. Because Pete loves the basketball analogies. He does. It's my favorite, especially when it's Nets related. It's Knicks Nets related. It's both of them. It's both of them. So the first year the Nets were in Brooklyn, they won 40, I think like 48 or 49 games. Had a really good regular season. And I couldn't enjoy it. And my fellow Nets fans couldn't enjoy it. You want to know why? Because the Knicks were better. Because they were. Because the Knicks were better. So as good as the Nets had of a season, And they had a home playoff series. They were the four seed. And that was such a huge jump considering how bad they had been for a while. Like, that was a really good year. We were miserable Fs because the Knicks were better. And I remember even after the season saying, this is so weird. Like, on its own, you'd be okay with this. But because we share a town with the Knicks, it ruined my life. My season was a mess. And I kind of think that Met fans and Yankee fans, mostly us, 
look at them in the same way. If Juan Soto was not traded to the New York Yankees, I am convinced a lot of you, specifically you, would not have this down attitude about an offseason that hasn't really fully started yet. Like, I, I respect the Sonny Gray opinion. I like Sonny Gray. He wasn't on my off-season plan, but I would have been good if they signed Sonny Gray. So I'm not telling you that's an awful idea of, man, that would have been a bad signing. But a lot of their other starting pitching targets, specifically their main one, is still out there. So truthfully, nothing's changed. The only thing's changed is the Yankees made a really big trade. And, and I get it. Like a lot of people listening don't like the Yankees and their mood is affected by the Yankees, much like I was affected by a good basketball season that was overshadowed by the team I don't like. But the truth is the Mets were never players for Juan Soto. They were never going after Juan Soto. I have made the argument they shouldn't have gone after Juan Soto. I never thought they even had the ability to get Juan Soto. Like this idea that, well, the Mets should have been in on it. With what? The Padres wanted major league ready pitching. What do we not have? What's the one thing we're trying to get? I don't know. Major league ready starting pitching. It was never going to work. See, the Padres are weird. They didn't sell off Juan Soto for the greatest prospect package. If they did, maybe the Mets would be involved because the Mets have a good farm system. But they are trying to win while saving money. So their idea was, all right, we have a pretty good lineup. We got Machado. We got Tatis. You know what we should do? Let's just get as much major league ready starting pitching as we can while saving money. That's why when you look at this trade as a baseball fan, as a Yankee fan, you don't have to care about the Padres perspective. I respect that. But if you're trying to be fair about it, understand what the Padres were doing. Sucks they have to trade Juan Soto. He's a great talent. They said, how can we still win? Well, let's get as much pitching as we possibly can. That's what they did. You can argue they should have done something different, by the way. That's your call. That's what they wanted to do. The Mets were never in position to play that game because what pitching were they going to offer? So for any Met fan who's depressed right now, you can be depressed about whatever the hell you want, but it can't be about Juan Soto. I'm sorry. All right. So I'm going to make a basketball analogy. You might like this. I like this. Where <laughs> the Knicks may be a hot ticket. No one's dying to play for the New York Knicks. And like you saw with Durant and Kyrie, you know, even though it might have been ended up not being all that great, they went and played for the Brooklyn Nets. When it comes to baseball, the Yankees are always the hot ticket and people want to play for the Yankees. If you get better, you bring in better players. The the name to be a legend as a Yankee means more than being a legend as a Met. So a Yamamoto move. Money is obviously going to be a, a top priority here for Yamamoto, but playing for the Yankees or the Mets, you know, lean Yankees every time. Well, and that's why the Mets are no lock to get Yoshinabu Yamamoto. Now, I, I tend to think more times than not, players will go for the money. I think when Juan Soto is a free agent in one year, that's going to be the same thing. More times than not, players go for the money, but not always. And if Yamamoto grew up as a Yankee fan, and loves the history, especially of the Japanese player that's gone there, specifically Hideki Matsui and Masahiro Tanaka, then they've got a great chance to get him. 
And that's going to suck. I'm not going to lie. Like, Yamamoto is not because of the Yankees, but because of the need that the Mets have and what this player is capable of doing. He's the number one target. He's always been the number one target. And, and yes, it will be a tough blow if he goes to the Yankees for less money. Because I think it would be for less money. I mean, the the one thing the Mets fans should have confidence in is that clearly the Mets want the player and they're going to make a big offer. And what I battle with is if the Mets make the biggest offer for him and he doesn't come here, who are we supposed to be angry at? And that's a really tough question we have to ask ourselves. Now, hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully he signs with the Mets and we're waxing poetic about the owner and the view of David Stearns goes back up and you feel good about this offseason no matter what other starting pitcher they add. But if he ends up taking less money to go to the Yankees or go to the Dodgers, it it's going to suck. But I'm not sure who we're supposed to be angry at. I have an answer. Who? I'm not going to like it. Billy Epler. Billy he, Epler? Yes, because <laughs> last year when you had an opportunity to, to make the team better, uh, they missed the mark. They they brought in everything failed last year. But do you think that would have mattered? Like if, if a guy like Yamamoto wants to be a Yankee, do you think the success over the last two years would have really changed his view on what team he wants to play for? Yes, specifically because Steve Cohen was supposed to change how the Mets were viewed in this town. They were supposed to be kings. We're, we are, I'm sorry. Maybe that's a, a naive mindset. But- it is naive. They were never supposed to be. Here's what I expected from Steve Cohen. Not to be kings, but to compete for every single player that's available. And they have. Doesn't mean they're going to get every single player. But under the Wilpons, we wouldn't even be linked to Yamamoto. And I'm not saying that's enough. It's not enough. You have to end up with the player. But under Steve Cohen... The Mets have bid up on Verlander and Scherzer, and they traded for Lindor and kept him. And it's not to say all of these moves have worked out, but if you were bought, if you were buying an idea that the Mets were just going to shove the Yankees to the side and they were going to become irrelevant, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that was a, a fallacy. It's about being a big market team ourselves. It's about being able to make the biggest offer for players. And look, sometimes you got to overpay for players. And I think it was the Nationals with Jason Worth. I remember when the Nationals signed Jason Worth away from the Philadelphia Phillies. He got such a massive overpay. And the reaction was, that's a bad contract. And I think the explanation coming out of D.C. was they had to. They needed to change the view of the Washington Nationals. And to do that, they had to get someone to come. And sometimes to get somebody to come, you got to overpay them. Are the Mets still in that spot where they're not the Yankees? They're not the Dodgers. And they're also not as good talent-wise right now. So to convince someone to come here, you have to overpay them? Yeah. And that's why the Mets have to overpay guys. That's why I will make you this promise. I'll make the audience this promise. If they end up with Yoshinabu Yamamoto, they win the bidding. And it is an absurd contract. Like, we're talking... $330 $330 million for a guy that's never pitched in the major leagues. I will defend the contract by saying exactly what I just said, which is, look, sometimes you just have to grossly overpay. Doesn't make the contract pound for pound great, but sometimes you have to do that. I think in a way the Mets did that when they signed Max Scherzer. I think they grossly overpaid him. Now it was a short-term deal, and now we can all move on from it. But I do think the Mets are still in a position where guys aren't going to come here for discounts. I don't even know if Pete Alonso is going to stay here on a discount. 
especially now with Scott Boris running the show. So you have to overpay. So I guess maybe the complaint would be the overpay on Yamamoto should be higher to convince him to not sign with the Dodgers or the Yankees. We'll see. But I'm not minimizing the importance of that, of the importance of getting that player, because I think getting that player changes the look of this entire offseason. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get to some of your emails because there are people who agree with Pete. There are people who are upset or fretting right now. The Rico B at gmail.com. I want to start off with a really interesting one from Howie C. It's a Yamamoto comparison. Evan and Pete, I was searching the internet to see if there's been a precedent of a Japanese pitcher of Yamamoto's caliber over the last 10 to 15 years and found one that came very close. Masahiro Tanaka. It was almost 10 years ago that Tanaka was posted, and he was also 25. He had won two Sawamura Awards compared to Yamamoto's three. Check out the pitching stats from both of their last three years before playing in the major leagues. The top is Tanaka, below is Yamamoto. Real quick, Tanaka in the three years before he came over, 19-5, and 1-2-7. Yamamoto, 18-5, 1-3-9. So almost identical stats. Tanaka threw a lot more innings too, by the way. Tanaka's second of last year before he came over, 10 and 4, 1, 8, 3. For Yamamoto, 15 and 5, 1, 6, 8. <laughs> and then finally, the last year before they came over, Tanaka, 24 and 0, 1, 2, 7 ERA, which is just filthy. And Yamamoto, 17 and 6, 1, 1, 6. Very eerily similar and he's right those are very very similar numbers 
both incredibly dominant numbers from both Masahiro Tanaka and Yoshinabu Yamamoto. So Evan and Pete, here's the question. It's a good one. Would you be happy if Yamamoto puts up Masahiro Tanaka-like MLB numbers such as he put on with the Yankees? It's a food for thought since the Mets will be paying him at least $250 million for the next seven to 10 years. Just a quick reminder on what Masahiro Tanaka did while he was over here in his very first year of 2014. He was brilliant before he got hurt. He was 13 and five with a 277 ERA. Followed that up with a 3.5 ERA. Followed that up with a 3.07 ERA. Followed that up with a 4.74 ERA. 3.75, 4.45, and then finally 2020 is last year, shortened season, 3.56. Pete Hoffman, would you be happy if that's Yoshinabu Yamamoto's statistics as a New York man? Uh, the last few years were not very good, but I would say... I would take it. The first three years were pretty. Was the first three were dominant? Or the first, solid? I would say, his first year was very. The, the one thing to keep in mind about his first two years is he missed time, and I think that's a a really important thing to keep in mind. Like twenty starts, twenty four starts are not full seasons, and that's what Tanaka had in his first two years here. Twenty sixteen was probably overall his best season because he threw two hundred innings or right around that, made thirty one starts and had a three oh seven ERA. Um, they're good, and that would make the New York Mets a lot better. But be honest, that's not what you're expecting if the Mets get Yoshinabu Yamamoto. It's not. No, um, but – and they're sa- the same age when they came over? Was yeah, Tanaka- he was 25 years old, yeah. It's a, it's a good call by half. Yeah, that really is a good comp. That sucks. But, yeah, no, I wouldn't be thrilled. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I want to answer Howie directly. I think that we believe, based on his age, based on his performance, and based on the success of Kodai Senga from last year, where Kodai Senga's first year in the major leagues, I'd say was better than Tanaka's first year. I mean, one of the big differences is that Kodai pitched the entire year, Tanaka didn't. And Kodai Senga did not have the same dominant success that Tanaka had in Japan. So I don't, I think the research is great. But I clearly think in 2023, 2024, things seem to be different. With that said, so I'm answering that my bar is higher than the numbers that Tanaka put up. I absolutely admit that. My bar is this is a legitimate ace, that this is a guy who can be a top-line starting pitcher for the next seven years. Those numbers by Tanaka were not ace numbers. They were good. And he was a damn good Yankee, and he was clutch. And a big spot, I wanted to give him the ball. That matters. But I think what would happen if Yamamoto does that is that would be productive and that would help the Mets, but it's, it would not be what we want. So it's, it's kind of a half answer. Like I'd be disappointed, but that's still pretty important. Like those numbers still are good. And so if he's doing that for the next seven years, I think ultimately when we do the Rico Bronia retrospective on him, we'd say, yeah, we expected more. Yeah. It was disappointing, but that's not a bad player. That's not a bust. So I, that's how I'd answer it. Like, would I take it? I mean, I, that guy makes the Mets better. That guy helps the rotation for the next seven years. So I would take it. But I think overall, we'd say, hey, that ended up being a little disappointing. I don't think that's the easy way out on the answer, right, Pete? Like, I'm being honest. I wouldn't be thrilled with I, I wouldn't 
take it right now when we're projecting him. I wouldn't say it worked out as well as we had thought, but that's still good and helps this baseball team win for the next seven years. So I wouldn't say no to it. Well, because your whole point is, we talked about this last podcast, is how are you get how are you getting your innings? And if he can give you those innings, they're not a six ERA, they're not a five ERA. They're you know the even the the later years threes and and fours are not great. But again, is he going out there and pitching? And that's the key, giving yes. you those innings. That's the most important thing. Here's Steve, who is going to sound a lot like Pete right now. Anger and embarrassment. That's the headline. I think David Stearns isn't dedicated to the job. He got $70 million from Cohen, yes, according to Joel Sherman. He can reach 70 with incentives. If Stern didn't get ridiculous money from Cohen, he never would have taken the job. You let the Yankees get Soto for peanuts and we'll get Yamamoto. Epler was flawed, but he cared a lot more about helping the team than fraud Stearns. Epler tried and was aggressive. Stearns, with his Harvard education, wants to show how smart he is by signing no names. Fans will stop showing up to games if Cohen and Stearns don't get their act together. The team is horrible right now. No way around it. I don't even think they'll win 70 games as of now. Very little talent outside of a few guys. What good is Cohen if he lets the Yankees get all the stars like the late 90s and early 2000s? The Mets signing scrap heap guys in the meanwhile. They could basically spit in our face and it wouldn't be insulting. I have never been as outraged as I am right now. I'm not alone. Many other Met fans I've come across feel the same way. Fans will revolt and boycott. This is Will Pond BS. I can't believe this is happening. I've never disliked an executive as much as David Stearns. Stop smiling like a dummy doll and make moves. I can't take this anymore. Steve. I, I, I like Steve's initial thoughts, but I think he's a little too harsh on Stearns. Yeah, I think you went a little <laughs> overboard. The Mets are bidding on the top pitcher available. We have to keep that in mind. The Mets are going after the top pitcher available. And coming into this offseason, my projection, my prediction was they will go hard after two players. And after that, I'm not sure how hard they go after guys because I don't think the Mets are just going to bid on guys for the sake of bidding on guys. Sometimes free agency makes guys look prettier than they actually are. Just because you're the best available player doesn't mean you're a really good player. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, just because Cody Bellinger is the best bat available doesn't make him worth it. So I always thought they would go after Shohei Otani and Yoshinabu Yamamoto. There is a cloud of mystery around Otani. Have the Mets gone after him? I would think that they made phone calls. I would think that they tried to gauge his interest. If the guy doesn't want to come here, he doesn't want to come here. They are clearly going after Yamamoto. And that's why I get Steve and others saying, I want action, I want action, I want action. I think we all want action. But comparing it to the Will Ponds, it's repulsive. It's not the Will Ponds. They wouldn't be bidding on anybody. And you can't honestly think that they're just showing you fake interest in Yamamoto. Like they're just doing it to get their fans to be appeased. They're going after him. And if they don't get him, I'm t- it's, it's amazing how getting him or not getting him is going to change the tone of this offseason in such a major way. It, it is kind of, it is crazy because, again, there's not that many names available. And the other thing, too, is I just want to say something because uh, he, he was, Steve, I think, was, was named very critical of Stearns, bringing in nobodies. I'm not even like, I know I'm sarcastic with the, the list of names he's brought in. 
But the reality is, and I said this in a couple podcasts ago, they're brought in a bunch of new scouts. They're going to evaluate talent differently. I'm telling you right now, there's a possibility possibility that this year is an evaluation of the whole entire major league roster. Pete Alonso, McNeil, uh, Nimmo. I mean, just because they're here, uh, McNeil and Nimmo signed the contracts, doesn't mean they're going to be here for the long run. Yeah, and that's fine, but I think we all want them to compete at the same time. And that's why my bar, which is different than maybe Steve's and maybe some people listening, is at the bare minimum, they needed to build a rotation. And I think they will. And you got to give this team a chance. It doesn't mean they're going to be favorites or be as good as Atlanta. I don't see any scenario where we're going to go into the season thinking they are as good as Atlanta. But what I wanted from the moment they traded Verlander and Scherzer is you have to just rebuild this rotation and give them a shot. Like you couldn't come into this season relying on Tyler McGill and, hey, maybe Christian Scott will come up here and be effective. You could never do that. Or Jose Budo. You couldn't do that. And so my bar, I guess, was a lot lower than maybe some. I wasn't looking necessarily for superstars. I wanted them to go after Otani, sure. But I also believe what I just said, which is don't sign guys for the sake of signing guys. And I think what makes things difficult if they miss out on Yamamoto, who I'm all in for, is they still have to fill out a rotation. And you still have to try to win. But you don't want to just sign guys for the sake of signing guys. That's why Blake Snell I'd be against. Because I feel like that's just the next best shiniest thing. Like Maybe to a guy like Steve, signing Blake Snell would be, oh, well, we got the guy who won the Cy Young last year. I'd say, no, that's going to be a bad contract. That's going to be a bad contract sooner than you think. So, anyhow, here's another Steve. Steve Michelson writes, Lucas Giolito. Listening to Lucas being discussed, it was mentioned that he had pitched to a 4-5 ERA which on the surface doesn't sound great. But let me ask you this. If Lucas pitched 30 games with those exact same stats, except it was six innings, three runs every single game, would you take it? I absolutely would. That would make his ERA 4.50 for the year. All of a sudden, 4.5 would be okay. What I love about this email, Steve, and the reason I read it is I had this conversation with my dad when I was eight. And no, I, and I'm not saying that to put you down at all. I'm saying that I never could understand how it's such a bad ERA, yet if a guy goes six innings and allows three runs, we're pretty damn happy about that performance. So it's funny. It's a great point. I think the answer to it is that no one actually does it that way. Like if there was a guy, literally, who went six innings, three runs, 30 times in a row, I think if we watched him every day, we'd say, that guy had the greatest 4.50 ERA ever. But it usually doesn't go that way. It goes with a couple of bad performances, maybe some good performances. And I think when it goes that way, the 4.5 is bad. But yeah, if you were consistently going six innings, three runs, that's great, especially in 2024. It's just not the way it works. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Willis Rifkin writes, as a Met fan that doesn't know these players, could we or should we have offered similar for Juan Soto? 
What is the Met equivalent to this? And by the way, uh, Danny Lanigan wrote basically the same thing. So I want to give Danny credit to Evan. If the Mets made the same deal as the Yankees for Soto, what does it look like? I feel this is the only way to evaluate this in Met fan terms. I don't think it exists. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think it exists. I think that the only way, if we really want to get into this and say, how could we have gotten Juan Soto? I think you were going to have to sell the Padres on a completely different kind of trade. It was just going to have to be completely different. So one idea that was floated during the summer was Pete Alonso. Wasn't going to work. Because they took out a loan and they needed to get rid of $33 million. And Pete Alonso is going to make over 20 this season in his final year of arbitration. So could Pete Alonso have, and for Juan Soto have worked? No. Let's throw that one away. Could there have been something off the major league roster that worked? Jeff McNeil. Not really, because they didn't want to take money back. So I think you have to eliminate position players on the major league roster from this list. They didn't want to take money. Pitching-wise, what could the Mets have offered pitching-wise? Jose Quintana on the final year of a contract? Kodai Senga? After just signing him? Not really. He's making $15 million a year. What could they have offered? Edwin Diaz to replace Josh Hader? Not really. He makes a lot of money. Tyler McGill? David Peterson? Jose Budo? Now you're going into the farm system. And you're looking at Blade Tidwell and Christian Scott. And I don't think that draws them in either because those guys aren't ready. Like, I want to explain what the Yankees traded away. They traded away a guy in Michael King who is ready. He's a major leaguer. They got a 29-year-old major leaguer who in the last month of last season, while no one was paying attention to the Yankees, was one of their best starting pitchers this side of Garrett Cole and has also been an absolute weapon out of the bullpen. He's 29, he's got two years of control, and he is not a prospect. He is a major league baseball player. So they added a guy who has a resume. There's nobody on the Mets that fits that. Tyler McGill. What do you think of Tyler McGill? You think he stinks. So why would the Padres not think he stinks? So the Mets have nobody even close to Michael King. That's number one. Number two, they traded a prospect in Drew Thorpe, who, with all due respect to all the Met prospects, nobody's ranked as high in Baseball America as Drew Thorpe. The Mets don't have a pitching prospect ranked as high as Drew Thorpe. Now, you want to tell me, ah, but Blake Tidwell's maybe highly regarded. Okay, if you want to tell me they're even and maybe the Padres would like, ah, we like Tidwell. Okay, I'll give you that, even. But then let's think about what else they got. It's being diminished as, well, they got nothing back. Let me tell you what they got back. They got back Johnny Brito. Now, what's Johnny Brito? You know how many starts Johnny Brito made for the New York Yankees last year? Made 13 of them. He pitched for the New York Yankees. Was he great? He was okay. Had a 4-2 ERA. He's all right. Had his moments. Had some bad moments. Had some good moments. But he was a major league pitcher who made 13 starts. Randy Vasquez pitched really well when he pitched for the Yankees. He made five starts. So they got... Three guys, not one, three guys that are major league starting pitchers, including one that's far better than anything the Mets could have offered in Michael King. 
There's nothing even remotely close the Mets could have offered similar to that. So there is no equivalent. Could they have enticed them with better position player prospects? I, I, I guess, but the reason I lean no is this is still a team with a huge payroll. And this is still a team that's trying to win in 2024. They still have Manny Machado. They still have Fernando Tatis Jr. They still have Xander Bogarts. And watch this. Watch this. They still have a better lineup than the New York Yankees. Am I wrong? Tell me when I'm lying. Because I don't think I am. So the Padres lineup, despite losing Juan Soto, who is a great player, He's still really, really good. They're coming off a year in which they had a bad year, but they're really, really good. So think about that for a second. They're trying to win. So us enticing them with Drew Gilbert and Jet Williams and Luis Angel Acuna, I, I guess could have worked, but it's so different than what they actually accepted. And it's so different in terms of it that wouldn't have helped them this season. It would have been nice would have loaded up their farm system, and you could argue they returned what they gave up for Juan Soto to begin with. But in my humble opinion, there was no equivalent. It didn't exist. Meanwhile, I even mentioned what I've said before, which is I wouldn't have done that for a guy who has one year left. I look at the Mets this way. I think they got to try to compete in 2024. I think they can compete in 2024. I don't think they need to make big superstar moves to compete in 2024 because I don't think the margin is that high to compete in 2024. I didn't say with the Braves and say that Braves are a lot better. I said to make the playoffs to be good. I want to sign guys to one year deals. I want to bring guys in that improve this team, but don't kind of hurt their future. They are not Juan Soto away. I don't want to trade prospects for one year of Juan Soto. I don't want to do that. I'll sign him as a free agent. I don't want to do that. The Yankees are different. The Yankees have a guy in Garrett Cole in the prime of his career coming off a of Cy Young. Aaron Judge, who, keep your fingers crossed, he's healthy, is coming off a year in which he wasn't, but two years earlier was historic. The Yankees are going balls to the walls all in. It would be stupid for the Mets to do that. So we would be having some pretty intense arguments around here if the Mets had pulled a deal in which they traded top prospects for Juan Soto. You would have been excited. And I think at the end of the day, I would have been excited that a great player was coming, but I would not have been happy about the strategy. And I would have been concerned about Steve Cohen looking for quick fixes. So there is no equivalent. That's my answer to the uh, dueling questions of Willis and Danny. You're telling me that they wouldn't have uh, been interested in a Joey Lucchese reunion? <laughs> I don't think it would have enticed them. <laughs> Danny did have a second part to his email. If Yamo goes to the Yankees and Otani doesn't wind up a Met by Miracle, is there any way this offseason isn't an utter disaster? I think it would be. I think this would be Cohen's worst offseason thus far, and realistically, this only thing we've spent big on is over 40-year-old pitchers. We were out on Judge last year. Who knows why? We haven't landed a star under 40 years old in free agency since he had been the owner. That's not good. I think Yamo goes to the Yankees, and we're back to the old days of never a bride, always a bridesmaid again. I'm also not confident that Soto would choose the Mets over the Yankees next offseason. I think he'll be a guy that loves the pinstripes and the Yankees for the rest of his career. I am hope I'm wrong. So a lot there. Number one, you cannot 
exclude Francisco Lindor as an acquisition made under Steve Cohen because they traded for him like the Yankees traded for Juan Soto and then immediately re-signed him or at least a few months later re-signed him because they did it right before opening day. And they gave him a record-breaking contract. This is not to argue whether that was the right decision or the wrong decision, but when talking about spending on players and saying, well, it was only Verlander and Scherzer, that's all he's done it on, that is not fair. Because uh, Francisco Lindor has to count as an acquisition. I mean, they gave the guy a $300 million contract. And I want to explain this to you because I find this fascinating. Before Steve Cohen took over, the Mets as a franchise had given out four $100 million deals. Off the top of your head, you know who those four guys are in the Wilpon era. Four guys signed contracts with values over $100 million. Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran, the third highest contract in Met history, $119 million over seven years. David Wright. David Wright, the biggest contract in Met history, eight years, $138 million. The two, you got, you got two good ones. There's two that could be a little tricky. It's not Cespedes. I think he got 75, right? Yoannis Cespedes, his last contract that he received, because remember he signed one, the, the, the kind of shorter one, was a four-year, $110 million deal. The other one was Johan Santana after the Mets had traded for him. So another example of trading for a guy, kind of like what the Yankees just did, but they're not going to be able to lock Soto up. I, I think we all know that. The Mets traded for Lindor in a contract year, signed him immediately. They traded for Santana, and I think that was part of the deal. Like, they got the window to negotiate because that contract was announced right with the trade. So that was a, hey, give us some time to extend him kind of deal. But then other times it doesn't work out. They traded for Mike Hampton in a contract year. Had one great year. NLCS MVP. We're in the World Series. School systems in Colorado. Sorry, I'll see you later. So the Met franchise has handed out four contracts worth $100 million. Do you know how many Steve Cohen's handed out? And he's only been here for three years. The same amount. Four. Edwin Diaz, five years, 102. Max Scherzer, three years, 130. Brandon Nimmo, eight years, 162. And Francisco Lindor, 10 years, 341. So when it comes to spending, again, not arguing if the spending is right. That's a different kind of argument. They have handed out four $100 million deals, the same amount as the entire history of the Wilpons. So to say they're not, or he hasn't spent, is not fair. Now, Danny asks a great question, and that is a question that I think we all kind of have to debate, even though we hope it doesn't happen. How is the offseason not a disaster if they miss out on Yamamoto? It's a great question, because you always have to pivot. You can't guarantee yourself you're going to get everybody you want. Let's say they don't get him. What do you do? I am partial to Jordan Montgomery. I think that Montgomery, even at the age of 31, still to me poses the greatest upside. Like, I don't think he's an ace. I don't think he'll ever be an ace. But I think I could talk myself into maybe we haven't seen the best of him because he's been better over the last year and a half than he was prior to that. Like, since the Yankees traded him away to St. Louis, he's a better pitcher. And he was really good in the postseason last year for Texas. So, is this a guy that's going to continue to get better? 
because that's what free agency is really about. You don't want to pay for a guy's pass. You want to pay for what they think, what you think they can do. That's what scares me about Blake Snell. I think you'd be paying for his past. You'd be paying for the two Cy Youngs. Does anybody think he's going to win another Cy Young with the Mets? So I think, and I'm not saying that any Met fan would say this is an amazing offseason, but I think it would be an acceptable offseason in terms of rebuilding this rotation. I would probably lean towards pivoting towards Jordan Montgomery and uh, Shota Imanga, the Japanese professor. No, I think his nickname is something else. I talked about this on the air with Evan and Tiki, and I can't remember what it was. The Japanese, hold on, I wrote it down. He's got a very cool nickname, Pete, that I'm going to remember if he's a Met. I just can't remember it right now. Uh, the professor, wasn't that like an NBA guy or like a, like a NBA street ball, the professor? The professor? Was it Mountain Dew? The- Mountain Dew didn't Mountain Dew have like an NBA series back in the day. And did they? NBA, but yes, and the professor was some. He was crazy. Oh, I got it. You know what it's. You know what his nickname is. You're even going to find this badass. The philosopher, the pitching philosopher, the throwing philosopher, the throwing Shota Imanaga, who's 29 year old lefty. So, if they pivoted towards Montgomery and the throwing philosopher. You've now rebuilt your rotation. You don't have that blooming ace, but you have a lot of really good starters in the middle of your rotation. I would say that that offseason would be disappointing in terms of what you wanted, but you can't say that's a disaster. I mean, you can't, like, I'd have a problem with that. If the Mets went out and added three starting pitchers, which we knew they needed to do after trading Scherzer and, and uh, Verlander, we're going to say this was a disaster? A disaster would have been not signing any star. We're starting one starting pitcher. That's a disaster. Oh, man. By the way, I got a few more emails. I want to give these guys credit for asking the same question about comps on what a <laughs> Met Soto trade would have looked like. Uh, here's Douglas Peterson about Soto. Evan, I'm writing to simply express my absolute revulsion with this resurgence of the Yankees. I was in complete agreement with you that the Mets should not have traded for one year of Soto. However, watching him not only go to the Yankees, but more importantly, to then also watch Yankee fans truly believe that he will stay there. This sentiment is grating on my soul. uh, (laughs) Soto has made it very clear that his desire is to go to free agency, and yet the Yankee fan still operates with this unfounded air of arrogance. To the Yankee fan, I say this. You have not been the New York Yankees since 09. That was 15 years ago. As they say, these are not your father's Yankees. You cannot continue to place your hubris on a precarious foundation of dated and rusted trophies. The evil empire is not back, you dogs. (laughs) This is great. The Braves and Phillies fan is low and dim, but the Yankee fan is one of true infernal repugnance. Their minds exist in some sort of fantastical realm in which they have been winning the World Series left and right for the last decade. It's almost sad that they live in these vignettes of the past, recounting the good old days. Even when it's born of conditioning and ignorance, the joy of a Yankee fan is really most abhorrent. (laughs) This is my favorite email. Steve Cohen must do everything in his power to stamp out these ambitions of rebirth and renaissance surrounding the Yankees right now. You must embarrass Howland Cashman in the town square. Sign Yamamoto. Sign Soto next year, of course. Do whatever you must to thwart these rejuvenating mongrels. Do not let the Yankees be the Yankees once more. Sorry for this rant. I just hate the bleeping Yankees and their dumbass fan base. Douglas, 
Douglas, Douglas, Douglas. Very well written, by the way. Tremendous, tremendous email. I think the Yankee fan knows deep down that Juan Soto is going to go to free agency. Somebody's saying he's definitely going to leave, but he's going to free agency. Right now, they have a year of him. And, And I expressed this on the radio, and I really believe this. There is a belief amongst Yankee fans of, well, if he succeeds here and we succeed here, how could he leave? A playoff run with the Yank, how could he leave? Well, the answer to that is money, but let's play this game. I totally get what you're saying when a Yankee fan says that. How could they leave after experiencing all the good of being a New York Yankee? I'll give you that. That is certainly something that can't hurt the Yankees in free agency. But may I ask a question? What if it doesn't go that way? What if the Yankees aren't good? What if Juan Soto plays in the Bronx like he played upon being traded to the San Diego Padres? Do you remember his first 50 games in San Diego? I do. He had 237. He had an OPS that for his standards was incredibly low. It was in the sevens. It was 778. His numbers in those 52 games were so pedestrian that Pete Hoffman went on WFAN comparing Soto's numbers to Daniel Vogelbach's. And he wasn't wrong. So what if that happens? Like, I mean, that's a fair question. Like most guys who have come to New York, Mets or Yankees, struggle in their first year. Carlos Beltran struggled in his first year. Francisco Lindor struggled in his first year. Mark Teixeira got off to a bad start in his first year. Jason Giambi was hearing booze and got struggled in his first year. It is very common. So for all the, well, if things go amazing, how could he leave? I give you that. You're right. That would make it even more difficult to steal him away, though at the end of the day, it's just going to take money. But I want to play that game with you guys. I do. Yankees are enticing. How could he leave? What if it's bad? Like, what What if they're the 2023 New York Yankees? What if Soto's getting booed by the middle of May? What if they don't make the playoffs? What if they do and Soto's great and then much like 2022, he's getting booed because he's not hitting in the wild card series. So my point in all this to, and I don't think any Yankee fans listening, but to Met fans, to baseball fans is a lot can happen in a year. Let's not assume all that happens is good. Juan Soto is the kind of free agent that Steve Cohen, in my mind, would go balls to the walls for because he's young, he's dynamic, he's a position player. And I still fully expect that come a year from now, the Mets will be one of the top bidders for Juan Soto. Will it be difficult to pry him away from the New York Yankees if the Yankees have great success? Okay. Maybe a little bit more difficult. But if things go bad, maybe it won't be that difficult. But that's for a year from now. And that has always been my view on Juan Soto, whether he was a Yankee or a Mariner or a Blue Jay, and that he's going to get to free agency, and he's he's the kind of free agent you target because more times than not, Free agents are overrated. Cody Bellinger is overrated. Blake Snell is overrated. Most of these guys are overrated. That's why when someone as young and talented as Soto becomes available, you got to do whatever it takes. It's not personal. Like, 
I think some Yankee fans think I come on the radio and say, oh, the Mets are going to steal him because it's some personal attack. It's not. He's a free agent. I expect the Mets to go after him. And by the way, if the Mets didn't go after him, Steve Cohen would have hell to pay. Because then what are you doing? Like, seriously, that's the kind of free agent you have to go after because he's so young and he's so good. So good. So that's my opinion. Uh, this guy's Steve. This other guy's Steve. Wrote a whole email about realigning Major League Baseball. I, I don't want to do that today, Steve. <laughs> yeah, save that for the next uh, next podcast. That's a next uh, one. That's a next one. By the one. way. I, I do think this year, and I listened to the Cashman speak about Soto, I think that the Yankees are fully prepared to know that they're not getting an extension with him. I think they're fully prepared for that. And there's a possibility they're going to lose him. And I I still think they made the right decision for themselves, and that that's okay. It wasn't the right decision, decision for us, and that's fine too. Yeah. The, the teams are in very different situations, and I that's what makes these conversations sometimes so difficult, but because when you share a town and your brothers and sisters and everybody you're next to are fans of the other team and it's always comparison theater, it makes it difficult. But not everything needs to be a comparison because the Mets and the Yankees are different. They're in very different situations right now. But we do appreciate all the emails and all the passion, the RicoB at gmail.com, the RicoB at gmail.com. Next week will be a very exciting week because clearly we're going to get more clarity on Yoshinabu Yamamoto. We got a little bit more rumor and detail over the past week. We heard that Steve Cohen and David Stearns went out to Japan. There's a reason why I haven't mentioned it until like the 50th minute of this podcast. I don't think it matters. I mean, it's great. I'm glad they did it. Uh, I assume they'll get another face-to-face meeting with Yoshinabu. Maybe they won't. The Yankees will on Monday. Look, this comes down to what does this man want? What does he want? Does he want the biggest contract? If that's the case, I'd feel pretty good. I think I would go into it saying, all right, I think Cohen understands the importance of this, and they will be the highest bidder. Does he want the best chance to win immediately? If that's the case, I don't think the Yankees are the favorites either. I think the Dodgers would be. I think the Dodgers always possess that. Their resume is that. If there is a connection to the New York Yankees and a connection to the pinstripes, well, that's tough to compete with because you can't change the fact that Hideki Matsui was a World Series MVP for the New York Yankees. You can't change that. You can't change the fact that Kaz Matsui was on the Mets and means nothing to him. Can't change that. So it'll be a very interesting week next week. Obviously, we're all feeling a lot of heat, a lot of pressure. Because if they lose him to the Yankees, this resentment that you just heard today will only grow bigger and bigger. But more so than resentment, it makes it difficult on how to pivot. And that's the homework assignment we all have to have over the next five days. We did a whole what's your offseason plan. Well, how about this one? What's your plan if Yamamoto doesn't pick the Mets? Where do you go? What do you do? Because there's no easy answer to that. When we talked about the offseason plans, everybody said Yamamoto. We all agree he's worth targeting. Well, if they don't get him, what do you do? So your thoughts, write them down, send them over. We'll discuss it. The Rico B at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening and downloading Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.